to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Okay, good morning, church. Um, it's such a privilege to be able to stand here in front of family uh, to speak and share my heart, and I will not vindicate myself because God is the one who will vindicate me and will tell the full story at the end of time. So if you want to know the story, just let us know. We'll tell you. Um, Before I start, I just want to introduce myself because maybe some of you have seen me around as the girl that plays the keyboard but speaks into a mic that never goes out into the the congregation. Um, Some of you might not even know me. So my name is Melina. Uh, You can call me Mel. And I am married, as you would have already known, to John. He is amazing. Yes, that too. Um, he is amazing husband. He's really patient. And I couldn't ask for something better. Amen? Okay. And as well, um, some fun fact about me, which is not that fun because it's very obvious. I am pregnant. I'm actually going to give birth in about seven to eight weeks. So I'm about 32 weeks as of now. So this baby has been keeping me awake. It's a disco every night. All the mothers will understand this. So I'm really excited to share with you a little bit um, about my life, about my story. Um, And I just want to say that today, the way I look at this room is really a living room. And we're all here talking about our father, who is beautiful, amazing, the way he loves is great. And you all just happen to be listening to me. Lah. It's, it happens to be my turn to share. Amen? Yeah. All right. So, um, many of you would not know, but I will tell you right now that today is the 27th of August. Am I right? Yeah. It is exactly one month to my third year anniversary wedding. Woo! So, John and I, we've been married for two years and coming to three, coming to three years uh, in 27 September this year. And very fast, right? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> really very fast. Some of you were at the wedding, some of you were now. It's okay. Don't worry. <laughs> Next time, uh, maybe when we renew our vows, can always invite you again. Um, and actually, I was, um, you know, whenever you reach, all, mar- all you married couples will understand, right? Whenever you reach your wedding anniversary, you will start to think about your wedding day. Right, however many years ago, 20 years ago, 5 years ago, 2 years ago. And you'll start to think about all the things that led up to your wedding day. You'll start to think about things that happened on your wedding day and you'll be filled with warmth and fuzzy feeling. Yeah? No? Okay, I don't know. That, okay, that happens for me, okay? And so, the past few weeks, I've been thinking, it's been 3 years, man, since we got married. It's crazy. And I just remember like the times leading up to our marriage, like the day before the wedding day or the week before the wedding day, you know, as a bride-to-be, you are so excited um, about everything coming together. You see your dress, um, you see everything coming together and it's just amazing. The anticipation is, 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 is beautiful. It's beautiful. And you think about the wedding day, you know, when you said your vows, you said yes. And then that feeling, I actually jumped on stage when I said yes. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. You know, and I was really excited. It was really, I would have to describe it, it was really one of the best days of my life. Yeah? 
right? It's amazing. So I was think, thinking about this um, the past few weeks and I was just remembering like the build up into the marriage, like the pre-marriage counseling. We went for three different pre-marriage counseling, his church, my church, and some external church trying to cover all bases, you know, get as much as we can from the pre-marriage counseling. Um, and on the wedding day, we got married. We thought that we knew everything. You know, we were like super in love, right, John? <laughs> It was, yeah, okay, all that to say, it was really amazing, okay? And Amy and Andre, you guys are going to get married soon. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be the best day ever. Um, it was completely a stress-free day. You know, a lot of brides, they feel very stressed about things, right? Man, I was like so not stressed at all. It was really fun. My, my, I smiled until my cheeks like so painful. It's like super painful, right? <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, and you smile, it's so painful. And the funniest thing is that, thinking about it, right, it was really a surprise for me that it was such an easy thing because I was never really one to dream of my marriage or dream of my wedding or dream of getting married early. I'm always like, if I remain single till I'm 30, I'm perfectly fine, you know? And so when I enjoyed being married or getting married, there was surprise, you know, but God knows us better than we know ourselves. Amen? So, that's the story of my marriage. Um, and within three to six months, some of you would know, some of you wouldn't know. It's, if I feel like I'm breathing very heavily, it's because my lungs are squished by my baby. So, just please forgive me. Uh, so, within three to six months of my marriage, um, John and I, we... We tried to communicate the best, you know, but what happened was that it got really difficult, really, really difficult. I think communication breakdown was one of them. Um, most married couples in the first three to six months, they are like on honeymoon, they love it, they're so in love. But for us, within three months, I think we were in a very bad state. And I've shared this with some of you before. Um, we were not... We were not communicating well. We were not speaking um, much, except the typical, like, oh, how's your day? Oh, great. Oh, how's your day? Okay, great. Oh, day's great. Okay, move on. You know, and it was really, it was really, really tough. I think we started fighting over things that we didn't know how to resolve. And I think a lot of you will understand what I'm talking about. We kept going in circles. We're fighting about different things, but in the end, in the core of it, it's still the same. It's like, you don't understand me. I don't understand you. We don't understand each other. Okay, how? And it got really... Bad. I, I smile when I talk about it now because it's a good memory. <laughs> but <laughs> it got really, really difficult. It got to a point where we both were thinking separately without telling each other. S secretly in our heads, crap, I think we married the wrong person. And we, it's like a thought that we had in our heads individually. And it was really very bad because I'm like, man, I think I might have married the wrong person, but I cannot really go back, right? Because a good Christian girl cannot go back. So I guess we just have to, like, you know, figure it out. Or I'm, I guess the next 30 years of my life is just going to be like this. It's going to be fine. I can deal with it. Um, mediocre life. All right. So I remember thinking, man, I can't go back. I don't really want to stay where I'm at because that's terrible. But I don't really want to go forward because that looks really terrible. So every, like, every circumstance looks bad. Like, stay back. We cannot go back. Everything, it looks terrible. And we were just not communicating. It was, it, was, it was interesting. So the, the good thing is that there is a happy ending to this story because we're going to reach our three-year anniversary now, and that was in the first year. 
Um, and what happened is that I think it got to a point where we realized that both of us came to a realization that we didn't want to stay where we're at. We were both unhappy. I think we were unable to communicate that unhappiness to each other because um, my expectation on him is just to make, love me more. and You know what I mean? Yeah. So it reached a point where we were like, okay, let's do something about it. And so that's when we reached out to John Tong, who was in France. And then we attended some marriage courses in church. And I think through time, we, we were like, you know what? Let's do something about this marriage. Let's work at it because, if, I mean, if we're going to be stuck together for life, right? Must not make it happy? Must not make it a good thing to, to experience and to, you know, walk through life with? And so when, it's only when we started to, okay, let's go for this marriage class. Okay, let's do something about it. That's when actually things started to change. And I think many times it is like that in our, in our Christian life. In the sense of when we reach a certain level of maturity, God, we think we know Him well enough, we kind of plateau and we stop getting to know Him. It's like the same thing with John. After we got married, that feeling of love was so, man, this could last me a lifetime. It didn't even last three months. <laughs> you know what I mean? We stopped getting to know each other. We stopped um, finding out more about each other. We, maybe we stopped going on dates. Yeah? These are things they tell you before you get married. But when you actually get married, it's very difficult. Lah, okay? So, <laughs> I mean, you just have to work at it, right? And I think that's the most important thing. And I think in our Christian life, we're like that, right? Sometimes we reach a level of maturity in our spiritual life. I can hear God here and there. I can prophesy here and there. I can speak some words of knowledge, read my Bible. My heart comes alive here and there. I'm pretty happy this way. I, there's nothing more I need. There's nothing more that I can reach for. You know, but I think that what God is calling us to is to keep growing in love. To keep growing because we, we can never really reach a ultimate, in this, uh, ulti, like a ultimate line in this side of the earth. Right? Just like in our marriage where we cannot stop communicating. We cannot stop learning about each other. We, we need to keep going on dates. We need to keep finding out new things um, about each other. I think it's the same in our relationship with God. We cannot stay stagnant. We cannot, there's no such thing as being stagnant in the kingdom, right? We need to either go forward or we're going backwards. Amen? And so that's why today um, I'm going to talk about how important it is to grow in love for Jesus. Growing in love for Jesus. That's a heart. It's a real heart. Um, I think that the greatest enemy to growing in love is to be spiritually contented where we're at. I think the enemy will, if they cannot get us, if he cannot get us to like fall away and backslide, what he'll do is, you know what, where you're at, he'll say this into, to you, where you're at right now is good enough. Just, just leave it. Let's just keep it status quo right here. You don't need to be hungry for more of God. You are perfectly fine where you are at. But I want to say today that it's important that we keep growing in love for God. Amen? Amen? All right. I can get started now. Can I drink water first? All right. So I want to give you three reasons why it's important to keep growing in love for God. Three reasons. Okay, the first one is my favorite point, actually, that it is the first and great commandment. Let's turn our Bibles. You guys have your Bibles with you? 
to Matthew 22, verse 36 to 38. Okay, I have it on the slide, but I can't read it anyway. Um, then one of the Sadducees, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing Jesus and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. I want to point out that in this verse, Jesus doesn't give an option. He gives a commandment. Loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength is a commandment and it should be the most, it should be the priority in our lives. In every season, I think we want to grow in love in the first commandment for God. Establishing, developing, and maintaining our relationship should be the primary focus of our lives. Many people ask this question, like, what is my calling in life? Um, what are big things I can accomplish for God? Like, you know, the furthest um, areas I can go for missions and all these things. Many people ask all these amazing, amazing questions about what they want to go. But I want to tell you something that we're not left guessing as to what con- God considers the greatest. He tells us plainly, like black and white. He tells us plainly that He considers that the fact that you love him with all of his, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the greatest thing of all. It is the first and it is the great commandment. Amen? Amen. I think many times men look at our appearance, about how successful we are, um, about achievements that we have externally. But I want to say that I, I know that God looks at things very differently. Like I know and I know and I know that God looks at things Completely different from the way that man looks at. Men see success as famous, influence, money, whatever, you know. But God, when He looks at your heart, guys, He sees success as a heart being in love with Him. Whether, whatever your job you do, he, it doesn't really matter to Him. He wants in every season of your life that the first commandment be established in first place. And every, I want to say that every trial and every testing and every challenge, every difficult situation you go through, go through in life, it's so that the first commandment can be refined in your life. Because this is what is important to Him. If this is the standard of evaluation, at the end of time, then I want to do something about it in my life. I want to keep growing in what He considers is important. I don't want to spend time growing in things. I mean, all those things are also important, but I always want to put priority on the things that he thinks is important, which is the first and the great commandment. We need revelation of the supremacy of the first commandment. It is the standard of evaluation at the judgment seat of Christ. I want to hear him say, good and faithful servant. If we truly believe that Jesus meant what he said about this commandment, I think that the way we live our lives will be drastically different. Amen? The things we pursue and give priority to will change. I want to bring your attention to, with all of your heart, can we go back to the verse? Okay. With all of your heart, all of your soul, with all of your mind, and if you go read the one in Deuteronomy, it says, with all of your strength. And sometimes I read this verse and I'm like, man, that's really impossible. 
sounds really hard. Like, how do I do it all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my strength and all of my soul all at once and all the time? You know what I mean? But I want to say that He calls us to love Him with all of our everything because He loves us first with all of our everything. He has first loved us so that we can love Him back in return. And this is what I love about God. He, he's not like this demanding God that makes us do things or calls us to do things that He has never first done. He's always gone before us. He's always done whatever, you know, loved us all the way, loved us wholeheartedly. And that's why right now He has the authority to call us to do it. And it's only by His Holy Spirit that we will be able to love Him wholeheartedly. Alright, there's a verse on the screen. It says 1 John 4, 19. We love because He first loved us. Famous wedding verse. Everybody uses it for wedding. Um, but I want to say there's a lot of truth in this verse. <laughs> the only way we can love is if we first receive His love for us. If we first encounter His love because we can never give what we don't have. He first chose to love us. And this is what I like about love. It's that it is voluntary. We get to choose Him on this side of eternity. It's kind of like in my relationship, a lot of an analogy, one month before my anniversary last, so <laughs> a lot of uh, marriage analogy. It's like when we were dating, what happened is he started pursuing me, right? Nobody forced me to love him. I mean, he tried to like always be there so that I remember him, you know? But... <laughs> It was a voluntary thing. Nobody was like, you have to love John. He's so nice to you. Do it. You know that kind of thing? Nobody forced me to love him and nobody forced him to love me. Right? This is love. The nature of love is that it is a free will. You can, do, you can choose to love this person or that person or this person. This is love. Right? And I think this is the kind of love that God desires from us. It's not a, okay, I, just because I say you must love me, that's why you must love me. But it's because he first loved us that's why it compels us to love Him back in return. When you've encountered the love of God, let me tell you, you cannot help but love Him back. He's after our hearts. Amen? God is after our hearts more than our ministry assignment. That is His utmost priority for our lives. He doesn't really need your help in the ministry last sometimes. He can do it by himself. Not that he can do it by himself. But he really wants our hearts to be captivated. He would do anything to capture our hearts. All right, second reason on why it is important to grow in love for God. Number two, because we were made to know him. There are these yearnings in your heart. All of you, because it's in mine as well, so I'm pretty sure we're normal. We're all <laughs> the same. There are these yearnings to discover more, right? When we learn something, then we are satisfied, and then we want to learn more. Or when we experience something, like I like to dive, which I haven't really like deep sea dived in a long time. But every time I, I dive, I want to dive again and again and again. And there is this desire within our hearts to discover more and more and more, right? And God actually plays these longings because He can fulfill them. There are these longings in our hearts that only God can fulfill. Nobody else, nothing else in this world will ever be able to satisfy because things in this world are finite. But the thing about God is that He is unsearchable for eternity. You can never find an end to Him. And because of that, you will always find pleasure in knowing Him. 
There is this uh, song that we sing, but actually the song has a lot of truth in it. It says, the more I seek you, the more I know you. The more I know you, the more I love you. And I think it's really true for God because the more we seek Him, then we find out how amazing He is. Then because of that, we love Him more. And because we love Him more, we start from beginning again and we want to seek Him out more. Right? Knowing God is the superior pleasure in life. And I know it's a bold statement to say, but it's really true because the times, have you ever had those times where it could be at the altar call, could be in your house, could be when you're reading a Bible, and your heart just comes alive because He speaks straight into your heart. And your heart, and you start crying. Okay, well, some people start crying, some people start laughing, some people like, lie down you know, and rest. But your heart comes alive within, and it's, it's, I could say it's nearly like addictive. Like you want to go through it again. You want to encounter Him again. I tell you, God made you for pleasure. It, it, that's why people um, will pay so much money to do like bungee jumps, jumps, and like go roller coaster rides because I love all these things, you know? Because we are thrill seekers. It's okay. <laughs> Okay, he'll pay money to go on trek in India. Okay, that's, that's ple- pleasurable to him. Um, but we are thrill seekers. And God knows this because he put that in us because he is the one that can satisfy all these longings and all these desires. He is the author of pleasure. All p- pleasure, pleasure ha- comes from him. It's a, it's a good thing, guys. It's just that, of course, the enemy has always have counterfeit pleasures to satisfy the longings in our hearts because he knows that God created us with pleasure. Okay, an example would be like, okay, I like shoes, and a lot of you will know that. And so I'm like, I'm looking at this pair of shoe example, and I'm like, man, I really want to get this shoe. If I get this shoe, I don't need any more shoes in my life. (laughs) You guys know this feeling, right? It might not be shoes, okay? It might be something else. Maybe yours is like... um, bags or chair or PlayStation (laughs) or gaming chair, gaming chair, right? (laughs) But you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's like, okay, if I get this, I don't need anything else. But how many of you know when you actually get it, a few weeks later or maybe some a few days later, you're like, man, I need something else. I need another pair of shoes. Or I need something else. You know what I mean? These things do not satisfy us forever. We think they do on the other side of the fence, but once we cross over, we realize actually they're not really that satisfying. Man. <laughs> as I was saying, that he is the author of pleasure. Everything else is counterfeit, right? And it's, it's like that in sin as well, right? And I can share this because, I mean, I've been through it as well. I, I think most of us have. When you are faced with a situation, a temptation, you're like, oh, I, should, I think I want to do it. I don't know what I want to do it. Then if you do it, and then once you, let's say sin or whatever, it could be any circumstance, you realize actually you feel more empty after that than before. You're like, man, what did I just do? You know, that's the thing, right? Satan tempts you with a counterfeit pleasure, thinking that this will satisfy you, but actually it really doesn't. Our hearts were made to know Him because He's the only one that can fully satisfy the deep longings within us. Knowing God is also eternal life. Um, John 17, 3. I think I have it on. Yeah. That this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I love how Jesus is like so plain about everything. He's like, this is eternal life, guys. He doesn't leave it in very difficult to understand terms. But eternal life is knowing God. We're going to spend the rest of our life searching out the unsearchable God. And that's why he created this deep desire for discovery because we will never find an end to him. He's the only one that will be able to satisfy us forever and ever and ever and ever. Eternity. Amen? All right. You guys okay? All right. Good doctrine. (laughs) Okay, number three. The third reason on why I feel it is important to keep growing in love for God. You guys ready? This is another one of my favorite ones. I have a lot of favorite ones. He desires to make himself known. So it's not just the way we were created, but he as God desires that we would want that we would know him. There is this desire in the heart of God to be revealed to all of men. And I read the Bible and I think I mean if you read the Bible, you would see a common thread about how God is the proactive one. He is the one that takes the first steps towards mankind. Even after the fall, after everything happened, he was the one that asked, hey, where are you guys? Why are you hiding from me? He's the one. And I want to bring you through a couple of milestones in the Bible where God shows his desire to be revealed to men. Can we do that? Just really quickly. First one, we all know this really well. It's the story of when Moses asked God to show me your glory. Okay, Exodus 33. I put it on screen so you don't have to. Okay, so basically Moses said, God, show me your glory. And then God said, um, you cannot see my face unless, because if you see my face, you will die. And then he goes on, God continues and says, the Lord said, here is a place by me and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be that when my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. I want to point out here that this is God's response when Moses said, show me your glory. I don't know about you, but when I read this, what I get from from God's perspective is, Man, Moses, I really want to show you my glory. In fact, I want you to see me face to face. But because there is this divide, because I am holy and man is not holy and we cannot be on the same level anymore at this point of time without you dying as in Moses, right? This is what I'm going to do for you because I want to show you my glory. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to put you on the rock. I'm going to put you by the cleft of the rock. I'm going to cover you with my hand. Then I'm going to pass by and I'll take away my hand and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Do you feel the desire of God? Like, I want to show you. So I'm going to do all these things so that I can still show you part of my glory, but you won't die. God desires to make himself known to Moses then. Not only that, he desires face-to-face communion with men. Another... Um, milestone that I can think of in the Bible is when God gave blueprints for the sacrifices for the tabernacle. It's not something that the Israelites requested, 
but because of God's jealous desire to reveal himself, to have continual communion with men, he was like, these are the things you have to do in order to be clean before me so that we can continue communion with a people group. If you read the entire book of Leviticus, you will figure out there's a lot of things to do. It's really a lot of things to do. And, but you see his desire like, okay, I want to reach out to you guys. I want to reach out to men. Not only that, but if you go into the New Testament, we see God, what did he do? He sent his son in the likeness of him to show men the glory of God. He's like, okay, this tabernacle thing obviously isn't really working out in that way that, you know. Uh, okay, I'm just being very like, casual with it. Okay? Um, but he's like, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my son in the likeness of me, and then you would know me through my son. He desires to reveal himself. And because of that, Jesus taught a veil, and now we can enter into his presence boldly with confidence. I don't know about you, but when I read and I think about all these milestones, I, I feel the heart of God wanting to reveal himself to us. And even at the end of the age, when we talk about the end times, we talk about the kingdom that's coming down. We talk about heaven coming to, to earth. Do you guys realize that it is heaven coming to earth, not earth going to heaven? Once again, he shows himself like, I desire to be with you. The ones I created, the ones I love, I desire to be with you. He desires to make himself known. And today, I really believe that he wants to make himself known to each and every single one of you. Like, if you think about yourself and right now you are like, I am hungry for God. Let me tell you, God is way more desirous to reveal himself to you than you are to encounter him. For your friend that's a non-Christian or maybe, you know, whatever, um, whatever circumstance your friend is, you, God is more desirous to reveal himself to your friend or your family member than you are for that person. He desires to reveal himself to us. Um, I want to talk about one more verse, John 17, 24. So it's not just the father's desire, but it's also the son's desire. This is a really famous verse. We all read it many times. This is Jesus' last prayer before the cross. He says, Father, I desire that they whom you've given to me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory that you have given me. Before I, <laughs> for you loved me before the foundation of the world. This is the desire of Jesus to be with us. He's like, Father, I'm going to this cross, and this is what I want. This is what I desire, that the ones that you've given to me, which is all of us, will be with me where I am. And interestingly, he doesn't end just end there. He says, I want them to be with me where I am, and that they may behold my glory while being with me. And so this is something I want to talk about, this idea of beholding God. Because we're talking about growing in love. How exactly do we grow in love? I think there's many different ways. I'm not going to give you any formula on growing in love with God. You know, but I think John 17, 24 gives us one key. Right? Jesus' desire to be with us 
so that we can behold his glory. And there's this principle that I love to talk about because I actually think it's very true. It's actually called the beholding and becoming principle. You like my slide? I spent some time doing it. <laughs> you see the mirror in between? You behold and you become. <laughs> okay, this beholding and becoming principle, I love it because it's really true. So what happens is, is the idea that when people behold something, they start to become or they start to act or they start to speak like it. A really easy example would be my marriage with John, right? We spend so much time together, we start to talk like each other. I, really, I don't know if we start to look like each other, but we definitely start to talk like each other. Right? So I, I have this like casual term, like instead of calling dinner, dinner, I call dinner, din, din. Okay, it's just a casual term. Lah. Okay, I don't know where I picked it up from. And he started to, started to say it after a while. I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and then I started to say whoa because people in my office started saying whoa. And then he started to say whoa. So it's like, you know what I mean? You, you, you become what you behold. Another funny example would be like when I was younger, I used to like to watch this TV drama. It's called Gossip Girl. Okay. Judge me. It was quite nice. I learned some very important principles from it, okay? <laughs> I will share with you another time next time. <laughs> okay, but no, it's really funny because, like, I used to watch it and I was never really into, like, bags or anything, you know, like, that kind of fashion stuff, you know, the kind of clothes that they wear, right? But then the more I watched it, the more I'm like, man, that's really nice. Man, that's really cool. Man, wearing a headband, like, the, the, you know, the actress is really, really cool. I started to wear headbands for a while. I was like, man, what am I doing? <laughs> you start to become what you behold. If you spend a lot of time with Korean <laughs> pop drama, you start to dance like them. <laughs> You guys understand what I'm trying to say? Yes. yes. I don't need to embarrass anyone for any further. <laughs> we, we become what we behold. And Jesus knows this. God knows this. He created us this way. He created us to behold Him so that we will be transformed and become like Him. Very quickly, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. He puts it plainly. When we behold God in His glory, in His nature, in His kindness, and His goodness, we start to become like that. We start to be transformed from within into that same image that we behold. And likewise, if we behold something that's not that great, this principle still applies. So what are you beholding today? What are the eyes of your heart or your physical eyes beholding the most? What captures your attention is what you will eventually become. Only when we encounter His love are we then able to love Him in return. Right? I brought this, up, I brought this point up earlier. And today I want to say that we need to encounter His love in our lives in order to keep growing. We need personally to encounter His love in our lives. You guys doing good? 
good preaching. Okay, I want to share Nick's, um, along the fact that we need to encounter his love in our lives. That's why I said I'm not going to give you a formula on how to grow in love. But I want to share two things that I have encountered about the love of God that has caused me to love him more in return, to cause me to change my life in the way I live, cause me to love him more. Can I do that? Okay. I'm really excited because these are my favorite points. First one, the affections of Jesus over our lives, that he delights and that he enjoys us. I want to say Jesus is filled with delight and gentleness toward us, even in our weaknesses. I think sometimes growing up in church, you kind of grew up with this mindset that, well, I did, grew up with this mindset that God is really scary, really far away, and if you don't read your Bible every other day or every day, He will be a little bit mad at you, and because of that, He will not be very happy with you. You know, and I want to say that I think all those things are just lies that the enemy puts in our heads so that we won't pursue intimacy with God. I want to read this um, verse in Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 5. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of this world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption by sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, Uh, focus on the last sentence, the last phrase, according to the good pleasure of His will. Like we are adopted into His family, we are grafted in, we are loved because it was His good pleasure to love us. It wasn't like, man, I created these human beings, now I have to love them. I'm forced to love them because, you know, what did I do? You know, I created this mess. You know, it's not that. I really believe that God delights in us. And I actually think that He likes us more than we like ourselves. He likes me more than John likes me. Amen? And I want to, like, there's this story that I have. um, When I discovered that He delights in my voice, and he, He delights in my actions and my words, it was amazing. Okay, so last time, right, if you know me 10 years ago, I would be terrified of taking this mic. I would pray, I would try and pray, and then I'll pray really fast so that I'll get it over and done with. And then I'll like double think about everything I prayed, and I'll just be terrified. And it's probably because when I was younger, I ex- accidentally um, said a bad word into a mic in school. <laughs> I chipped over a mic, uh, a mic wire, la, so I had a really like, bad fear of um, speaking in public. <laughs> and I was a prefect then, and it was really bad, okay? <laughs> it was really, really bad. And so... I had this really fear, and I used to be so afraid of the mic. You know, but once I realized that he delights and he enjoys hearing my voice, and let me tell you that something funny happens within, something great and funny happens within, and suddenly that fear becomes not so scary anymore. Because I realized that I'm standing before you guys or whoever I'm standing before, right? And I'm not standing here to please any of you, but I'm standing here because he already delights in me. And that's why I can speak with confidence and boldness. It gives you, when you know He delights and He enjoys you, I tell you, it gives you confidence like nothing ever gives you confidence in life. It's amazing. In my, in, another example I'll give like, 
can you imagine if John and I, like in our marriage, right, we were always upset each other. If I think that he's always mad at me because I always do something wrong. The last thing I want to pursue in my marriage is intimacy. Right? Why would anybody want to be close to anyone who's always mad? Right? If I'm, like, I'm friends with cons, right? If I think she's always angry at me, why would I want to be good friends with her? I don't really want to hang around someone who's always angry at me. I won't want to pursue intimacy with that person. And I think it's the same. This is what the enemy tries to do. If we view God as being mostly mad, we will never pursue wholeheartedness and intimacy. We would build walls to protect ourselves instead. And this makes me really angry when the enemy does this to people because I used to be one of that, you know? So he delights and he enjoys us. Our love moves his heart. And then a lot of people, sometimes they ask me, like when I talk about this, they'll be like, oh, what happens if I stumble? Does he still love me? You know, what happens if I do something wrong? Does he still love me? I want to say that there is a huge, huge, huge difference between these two things. One would be, one I, one I call weak love and one I call rebellion. Largely, worlds apart. Okay, as sincere believers, I believe many of us are in the weak love side of things. And when I talk about weak love, I really mean a sincere heart that wants to say yes to God, but still struggles. And I think we all have gone through this before. I want to give my heart all to God, but we struggle with it. Right? There are some, some certain things that we can, it take time, takes time to overcome. Right? But it's vastly different, different from rebellion. And rebellion is a defiant heart. From, from beginning day one, rebellion heart says, no, I don't want to do this. And I think the way God treats believers who are sincere in their love, He treats them with tenderness and gentleness. He isn't surprised when we stumble. We are. We are surprised when we are stumbled, but He really knows what was coming. He isn't shocked nor surprised. He knows us. Um, just qu- very quickly, two verses. Hebrews 1.9. Um, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God is, um, uh, is talking about Jesus, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all of your companions. And a very famous verse we know, Psalm 16, it says, in your presence is fullness of joy, your right hand, pleasures forevermore. How can God be always mad if apparently in his presence there's supposed to be fullness of joy? <laughs> I don't know. Jesus has a heart of gladness more than any man in history. Sadly, most people have viewed him as mostly mad or mostly sad when he relates to us. But the good news is that Jesus is mostly glad when he relates to us. Therefore, we can approach him with confidence. Amen? All right. Second thing I would like to share with you is... By far, maybe my, fo- my most favorite. <laughs> By far. It is his wholehearted commitment toward us. Jesus, God, he's wholly committed to seeing me mature in love. He's faithful to the end. He will never give up on me. You know, the good news today, guys, is that he is not leaving you where you're at. If any of you are stuck in the challenge and you're like, why? I don't know how to overcome this. Great news. He's not leaving you there. 
He's wholly committed to your heart. Psalms 138 verse 8 says, The Lord will, not maybe or may, but will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Philippians 1 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will complete it. He's so committed to our hearts committed to setting us free to love Him, to establish first commandment in first place. Did you know that? He's jealous for your heart even right now. Even the areas that we feel are too ugly or too scary for Him, He's jealous for them. Anything that keeps us from loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, let me tell you, he brings you through this process called pruning. John 15, 2 says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. You notice that both is very painful. Doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Bear fruit, he prunes. Everything also like a bit painful. Right? But this is, I want to show you his desire to be committed to us all the way. Things that don't bear fruit in our lives, he wants to take away because he wants us to bear fruit. But things that bear fruit in our life, he also prunes because he wants us to bear even more fruit. He is so committed and he doesn't give up halfway. There is no hopeless case in God's eyes. Sometimes we, we label things or we label people as, ah, yeah, it's not a hopeless case, la, or don't know, la, not sure how to do, you know, but God always has a plan for that person. He's always fully committed. Nothing will scare him away. And, and if the extent of his commitment was shown on that cross when he died for us. If you're unsure about whether God really loves you or if he's committed to you, let me tell you, God died in your place so that you can commune with him. The way that he loves, God loves, is one way only. He always loves in fullness. You know, he says he never changes, right? And so the way God, as humans, sometimes I wake up and then I'm more irritated at John that morning or something, right? Just being very real, guys. And some days you're just like, man, I only love this much. You know, I'll only go that much. I'll try my best. But you know, we wake up with varying levels of like love for the people. Like sometimes your mom like tries to do something nice for you, but you find irritating. Then you're like, oh no, don't want that kind of thing. You know what I mean? As humans, our love is is not perfect, and so we love differently on different days depending on our circumstance and what the person has done for us. But God, He doesn't love that way. We cannot put humans' definition or our knowledge of love onto God, because He is the one who defines love. And let me tell you that the way God loves is always in fullness. He always loves you 100%. Like even for him to love 99.9% is for him to deny himself. He cannot love any less than the fullness. That's the extent of his love for you. Like even right now, this is what he's saying over your life. I love you fully. Always. So I'm going to conclude my sermon today. Um, I'm going to share a story that um, is pretty interesting, I think. And um, 
I'm just, can I just share my story? <laughs> okay, um, I think I'm really passionate about growing in love for God and knowing His affections for us because it's something that has transformed my life personally, you know. Um, and when I was 17, as Pastor Daniel kind of said, I met him and um, we, I went for a youth conference that really changed my life. It was one of those Ignite conferences. You guys know, right? And for the first time in my life, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and it was really exciting. And so I went back with, went back to my church with, at 17 years old with this feeling like I want to change the world. You guys have that feeling before? I want to change the world. But I think nobody really told me that you don't really go and change the world after you encounter God, right? You keep encountering Him and that is important. Um, and then you let your life and, and the fruits of your life change the people around you more than anything else. But okay, anyway, I didn't know all this. And so I went back to church and I was like, man, everybody needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody needs to know God more. Everybody needs to da 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 And it went on for like a year. And I think to say the least, like I got really like burnt out because I didn't encounter God after that. I, basically, I was running on one encounter. I didn't know any better, to be honest. Um, and so what happened is, I couldn't find my answers in church because everybody, they don't seem to be interested in, in, this, in this thing, um, in this thing, in God. <laughs> Seem, seemingly, okay? it's just from my perspective. And so what happened is that I, would, I came to a point when I realized, okay, you know what? If these people don't really want God seemingly in my head, then maybe there is other options. Maybe God is not the only option, right? So maybe the world presents other options. So let me go and try it out. Because you just... You just reach a point where you're just kind of jaded with everything. And so that started on a five-year journey. I like to call it my wilderness years. I always tell God, when I talk to God about it, it's like, my, my wilderness years. Um, a five-year wilderness year journey where I was trying to be a sincere believer, but yet being lured and captivated by the things of this world. And so I would go to school. I was in Bali then. And I would struggle with a lot of things. And... And I, I became the kind of cell leader that I never wanted to become, which is my cell members would prepare their cell material and I wouldn't prepare it. And I'm supposed to lead them into cell group. It's like, wow, it's really very bad. You know what I mean? And things like that. And so it's like, I was really trying to straddle both God and the world because I know that God is real because I encountered Him when I was 17. But I just couldn't give my heart wholly to, to it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it was just that situation. It's that struggle when you're trying to straddle both and you're like, okay, I know God is real Fridays, Sundays, Saturdays, but on Monday to Thursday, I'm really struggling with it. Like the things of this world just seem too tempting. The friendships of this, you know, my friends that I have in, in school seems too tempting and, and whatnot. And so it really got quite bad. I was like half-hearted Christian kind, right? And <laughs> what happened was, um, I graduated from poly, and I went. Uh, I, I took a gap year because I didn't know what to do. And so when I took that gap year, I was already spiraling down this really bad thing, like indulging in like vices with my friends, and you know, on Monday to th Friday, and then they would try and tag me on Facebook. You know, last time, then I'll be like, no, 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 you cannot tag me on Facebook. Then I'll be like, okay, okay, I set the, the the privacy preferences to like approve before tag that kind of thing, because like I cannot let myself ever see that like doing all these things, right, on a weekday, and then Sunday I come, and apparently I'm really holy, and I'm telling them how to love God, and everything, you know, and there's nobody I could talk to about this situation, because 
Everybody seems like they don't have any problems in their lives. Everybody is loving God with no issue. And I, apparently, I seem to be the only one with issues, you know? You know that feeling of isolation? When you're the only one going, you feel like you're the only one going through it. Yeah, that was what I was feeling. And so, in my head, I'm like, okay, God, I know you're real, but I'm not really encountering you at this moment. So what I need to do, in order not to spiral down any further, is to check myself into Bible school. I'm serious. That's what I did because I knew that if I didn't do something with my time, I don't know what would happen. So I did that as a... It's really weird, right? It's just being really honest with you. So I checked myself into Bible school and uh, it didn't really work out. Like, I mean, for me personally, like, I mean, I tried to control it by that. Um, but it really reached an extent where I won't turn up for school, uh, even though I checked myself into Bible school. Things like that. Okay, so it got really bad. Then I went overseas to study. And the first thing I did when I went overseas was actually to look for a church. So it's like, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's very weird. Like, I, I know God is important, but my actions don't really follow. But some of my actions follow, but half my actions don't follow. You guys can understand what I'm trying to say. You guys going through this, sometimes go through this, like, you know, maybe when you're younger. And so, throughout that time, I really wasn't spending time with God. You know, but I would go for cell group in, ch- in church, in, in university. And then, because they know that I used to be a youth leader in church, right? So they'll be like, oh, come and chair the, the cell group. Uh, come and give some word of knowledge or like something. I'm like, oh my goodness. Then I'll just go there and wing it, lah, right? Whatever, you can hear God here already. Ah, I can't like this verse. Some verse from like two years ago, I pluck out from memory, that kind of thing. You know what I mean? And then I go to church and I'll encounter God and my heart will come alive and I'm like, God, I really want to love you. Then when I walk out of church, like after Sunday and go, go back to school on Monday in uni, right? I'll be like, okay, this is really hard. I can't do it anymore. So it's really that straddling between two realities that I was really like finding very, very, very difficult. You know? And I then it reached a point where it just got so tiring. And I, you know that the Bible like says like to, you cannot serve both, both God and mammon. You know what I mean? Um, but in this case, it wasn't really money, but it was more like, cannot spend half your time in the world, half your time in God. It got to, it, I, it got me really frustrated, you know, but I want to share, okay, there's this one point. I can get a band on stage anyway. Um, after about four and a half years of this, straddling in between this very long, actually, um, what happened is that I was actually, I came out of Singapore for a holiday, you know, December holidays, we all come back. And then I was still, like, talking to my friends, like, and it was still not very good company, but, you know, friends nonetheless. And what happened is, we were like, okay, let's go for this um, once-a-year event at Santosa over three days. Is it three or two days? Where everybody dances on the beach, okay? And I was like, okay, sure, let's do it. Yes, without seeing it, but yes. It, basically, that's what happened. And so I'll still be doing these things, okay? And I'll still struggle, and I'm like, I don't really want to, but I want to, you know, it's the lure of it all. And so I went for this event. And you, mind you, I, it's been five years, four and a half years. Never really spent much quality time with God. Don't even know whether He's really speaking to me. Can't really decide. You know, you, you would think that God would have given up on me already. I mean, so long, you know. But that was a life-changing night for me. Not in the way that, it, you know. <laughs> so what happened is, um, just be really honest with you guys, right? That's okay. Um... What happened was I was there, and if you, I mean, it's just like bodies everywhere, okay? It's really hot, really sweaty. Um, and 
Okay, I want to establish that in the four years, every time I, if I do go, um, like say clubbing and whatnot, right? The one thing I cannot do for some reason that I feel like the Holy Spirit had prevented me all this time was to raise my hands. You know when people raise their hands when they enjoy like and dance and have a good time, right? I could never do that. Like, it's just so weird because I'm like raising my hands is like something I do in church, like for God. You know, even though when I was furthest away from God, like I could never bring myself to do it, no matter how sober or not sober we, like I was. It was just one thing that I just could not do. And so when I was there at this set, uh, beach clubbing event, um, I was there and it was really hot. It was really like, what am I doing here? I'm so sweaty. It's like, I just want to go home. It's, it's really, really, really not an ideal place, right? Counterfeit pleasure, that's what I was trying to say, right? I was like, why am I even here? You know, and then I saw I, I needed fresh air, right? Because you turn to the left and your right is like stale air. So you must look up into the sky, right? So I had no choice but to lift my eyes to the heavens. I was like, fresh air, come on, God. You know? And what happened is in that moment, in the middle of loud music, laser beams and bodies, God spoke to me. And I think it by far it has been the, one of the most like defining moments in my life. God can speak to you anywhere. And you, you expect that the first thing God says to you after four and a half years of absence, right, is something not so nice, you know. But when I looked up into the heavens to really get fresh air, not really to talk to God, the first thing I heard Him say, like when I look at the stars and everything, was, Mel, thank you all these years for not raising your hands to worship somebody else someone else he said thank you for not giving worship to another God he said like I'm so committed to you thank you for loving me even though it might be a weak love all this four and a half years when you were trying to love me and and do the things you know struggling in between both he said thank you for loving me. And I, I was like, I didn't even love you, God. What did, even, what did I do? And I started crying in the middle of laser beams and, and loud music and bodies. And I was like, I was shocked because you would think that God would be mad. What are you doing, Mel, in this place? But at that moment, I realized He's really committed to me. He's fully aware of my weakness but he still calls it out and he says, now I love you despite all these things. He said, I love you. Thank you for not giving your worship to another God. Thank you for not raising all your, your heads all this time. This is the love that our Father has over us. He delights in us even in our weakness. He's wholly committed to our hearts. And I believe that the, the words of love that He spoke over me that day are still the same words that He's speaking over me today as well as He's speaking over you. No matter what situation you're in, I want you to know that His arms are open wide and He always calls out the good in you. He never puts you down. But He's fully committed to seeing you mature in love. Whatever brings out the most amount of love in your heart, that's what He would do. So as I close, can we all stand?
His wholeheartedness demands a wholehearted response from us. I, am com- I was compelled to run back into His arms after that night. It's not something He forced me to. He just said, thank you. And because of that, my life changed from that moment. It's this voluntary love that I'm talking about and I'm, I, I spoke to you about earlier. He woos you. He compels you. He's so gentle in His love toward us. And this morning, I just feel the love of God in this room covering every single one of us here. Holy Spirit, increase even right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God, but I know that He always calls us to grow, go higher, to know Him more, to experience His love, His love in a new way. And so this morning, I, before we give a call, I just want to, the worship band, let's lead us in a song. I just want to give some time for the Lord to just speak over your hearts even right now. Something that only He can do.